Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a show at the intersection of sports, media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the host and executive producer, Ed. In this episode, we huddle with Canadian filmmaker David Bitton, whose new film by Rook or Left Hook, the story of chess boxing, tracks two fascinating men as they battle for control of chess boxing, a professionalized sport that mixes rounds of boxing with, you guessed it, speed chess. I had an insider's view as an executive producer on the project for many years. However, by the end, this was very much a one-man show, and I think David nailed it. The film, available to rent or buy now on Apple iTunes and Google Play, is fun, moving, and more human than you'd ever expect. So here is Chess Boxing with David Beton. It was just shocking when I was looking through the bio and saw that you reached out to me in 2015 about this project. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know you had to do some more production for the ending when I came on, but we weren't efficient. (laughs) (laughs) We definitely were not efficient, but we also didn't have any money. So it was, uh, actually I was looking back on like my old, just looking through things to I'm archiving the project and just kind of getting ready for leasing and all that stuff. And I, I was looking at the Kickstarter campaign and on it, it said like in the challenges section, I wrote like, well, this film is going to be made. Like I shot 95% of it and there's just a little bit left to do in filming and I can make, I can end the film in many different ways. So if you, the more money you give me, the better it'll be or the more interesting it'll be, or it'll be the same, but it'll just take like, you know, a lot longer. (laughs) And so that's basically what happened (laughs) is that I had the foresight, you know, to know that I got just enough money to, to keep going, but it took, I don't know, from the Kickstarter campaign, it took another eight years (laughs) waiting. Yeah. um, Yeah. So because it was connected to finders keepers and you met Clay Tweel, who was one of the directors on the film at a film festival. And I think you pitched Clay, you know, you were just looking for some finance or producer help. And, and uh, I think it was Clay who connected us if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, actually I, I I was uh, looking for uh, to be put in touch with you. Like, as I knew, uh, yeah. Cause I mean, I'm such a fan of King of Kong. And as you know, like when I was, preparing the film or just getting interested into it in the subject matter and knew that I wanted to make a documentary. I was like looking for other films for like, you know, inspiration on how to structure it, how, how it could be told and all that stuff. And the um, King of Kong was always like one of my favorite Mm. films. So uh, with given the similarity to the kind of underground cult universe that is maybe looked upon with derision from the outside world, but that the people within take very seriously, I was like, okay, well, I don't know, maybe I can, maybe Ed will be interested in helping me out on this. And uh, when I saw that Clay had a film playing at, uh, at Hot Docs, which is in my, my, like where I live in Toronto, I went to the festival just in the hopes, I didn't even know if he was going to be there, you know, be present and he was, and I managed to meet him after the show. And I loved his, like Finders Keepers was awesome. It was hilarious and just great. Well done. And I spoke to him. I I knew that I knew quit Clay worked on the film, but I knew him more, I happened to have the soundtrack on my iPod that I was listening to a lot. Of King <laughs> of Kong? Yeah. Oh, man, that's cool. I, you know what? I'll share. Uh, I have CDs of that. That's, uh, that's the only film um, I think of the docs we, I've worked on that had a proper 
soundtrack. So I have the CDs and uh, my young yeah. sons discovered it about a year and a half ago. And <laughs> we rock out to that uh, soundtrack. It's a great one. And, I, and I, I'll give a doff of the cap to Seth Gordon, the director. He really had an instinct of what it needed to be. And uh, I think we nailed it with the composer and also just the, the five needle drops we used, you know, the cure, yeah. those types. We, we were pretty committed to being 80s. That's cool. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. I love it. Yeah, that. yeah, and I, and I actually like I love the soundtrack on its own, and actually I love um, just as an an aside, but Steve Weeby's drumming is awesome, mm. uh, and that's just fun to listen to. But the uh, the gummy substance song, you remember that one? It's I do. Like the, yeah. yeah, and it's it's just like really funky, awesome yeah. uh, '80s uh, music that works perfectly in the film, and I just like love listening to it on its own. And uh, I just I, when I was talking to him. I told him, you know, about chess boxing. He said, you know, he wasn't sure if you were still into documentaries, but he'll put get us in touch. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, great. That'd be awesome. And I didn't think that he ever would put us in touch, you know, like people say things all the time. But uh, uh, just as we were talking, I said, oh, I have the King of Kong soundtrack on my on my phone. And I, I love that uh, Gummy Substance song. He's like, I wrote that song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Clay <laughs> made that in GarageBand. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, he was uh, deep in edit with us. And we didn't have a song just for the, it's it's the intro of really the start of the big showdown um yeah. and uh we came back from lunch and he had been working on it for a couple of days and uh, i think he can drive he's you know he's a musician but it was all on garage band yeah, yeah. And he hit play and we all just lit up we were like wow that's yeah perfect <laughs> and we're gonna yeah. license it for zero dollars and we're paying yeah. you very little, little. <laughs> that's thanks the, that's the best part of it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so like, anyway, that's where I uh, met Clay and I was kind of in the hopes that he would put us in touch, but wasn't really expecting much. And then lo and behold, uh, several months later, I think I reached out to him once to follow up. And then he said, yeah, he was in the midst of moving or something, but he wrote you an email. He said, he'll write you again. And then I checked my junk mail like a month later and thank God I did because your email went to my junk. And so uh, he said, and you said that you were interested in having a chat. You thought the idea was fun. And then we had like, I don't know, how long did we speak for that first time? It was like a couple, two, three, three hours. hours, I think. Yeah. 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 Just well, like I had stuff to watch. You had a cut of the film. <laughs> yeah. Well, you had a three hour and 45 minute cut of an yeah. hour and 45 minute film. <laughs> That's where we've landed. Yeah. But, you know, the King of Kong, I think one thing I, and we'll get a little bit into your filmmaking and background, but what struck me right away, and it was really essential on both King of Kong and also Finders Keepers where there were people doing things and types of people that are very easy to make fun of. And, uh, you know, they're the butt of the joke. Yeah. And when I watched what you did with chess boxing, immediately there was a warmth to how you frame the characters, warts and all, because Ipa Rubin, who's one of the, it's a sort of a two-hander, this movie chess boxing, and Ipa Rubin, the guy who invented chess boxing, and who, you know, really was the reason it was, is alive, right? I mean, Ipa is that guy. I think audiences are going to feel a, a lot of different ways about him, but he is fascinating. And so he's extraordinary in a lot of ways and annoying in some ways, right? <laughs> and, you know, these guys, Tim Wolger is the guy from the UK and they're, sort, they're the two sort of protagonists. Yeah. It's sort of a two protagonist type of story here. But you're, the way you, you not just frame them, but the way you let them talk, the way you let them talk past their thought. So we got another beat of, you know, who these people were. And I, you know, I just saw right away, 
obviously it's a fascinating hook. Media loves it. Your film, I think, does a great job of showing how people like Stephen Colbert and CNN and all over the world, because it's an international sport, every event is covered. I think this film is going to get picked up by a lot of media people because of chess boxing. So I think it would have been easy for you to go in and this film does not do it at all. And, you know, do the, the, the sort of one line joke, look, you know, look at this freak show. And that's yeah. one thing we, we have um, in King of Kong. And then I heard this great Walt Whitman quote about the same thing. King of Kong, we developed the rule that there was no edit. We could, you couldn't make an edit if the edit made the joke. Right. If, if someone's having fun or making fun of themselves or being self-effacing or whatever, you don't have to edit, or, you know, then it's you telling the joke. And I thought that was a really good way for us to go. And then the right. Walt Whitman quote, which I think makes it more broad is be curious, not judgmental. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, I just saw that in Ted Lasso. <laughs> they just oh. use that in Ted Lasso. <laughs> oh, maybe that's where I heard it. I, I th- but it's such a, it's a way to, for me now, I, I frame how I look at people and think about people now yeah. um, because it's yeah. easy to slide to judgmental in many ways. And I think your film about this really bizarre subculture, right? That's a, it's an honest assessment, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you don't make excuses for them, but you're also not out to do that just one joke. And I, and, I, and that's why I got involved, David. Honestly, if 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 it, if you had been just out to sort of fillet these people for the world's entertainment, I wouldn't have been yeah. interested. You haven't done that with this film, so hats off to that. Thanks. I, I see why other people would find it humorous, but for me, I earnestly do not, you know, like I, I love this kind of subculture and it was shocking when I first discovered it, like which I, I saw it in a newspaper. Uh, I saw these two guys shirtless in the boxing ring, yeah. one arm arms raised in victory, uh, you know, uh, at a chessboard. And like it, it, it makes you think for a second when you see yeah. that picture, you know, but I wasn't like, this is ridiculous. I was like, wow, this is crazy. This is awesome. You know? And like, I read the article, I was like, wow, that's even more awesome. And people actually do this. And, uh, and I just wanted to like meet the people who do it and see what, why they're interested in it. And the, the kind of stuff that I'm attracted to just in general as a filmmaker and just in life are things that are like, that seem ridiculous on the surface, but have like an emotional truth to them or that, that have more to it. And the more you think about it, the more it like, it makes you laugh because it resonates with you on a subconscious level. I think, you know, there, and, and, and the more you think about chess boxing, you know, you might not like boxing cause it's violent or whatever. You might not like chess cause it's boring, who knows, but the mixing the two, there's, there's something about it. That's like the, the, the fighters will tell you there's like, it's this, it's an end of, it's two sports or games where there's, it's just you against you, basically, you know, mm-hmm. like all you in boxing, what you have to do is just train as best as you can. And that's the only chance you have of winning, you know, like it, it's not you make one mistake and you're out, yeah. <laughs> you know, and same thing with chess. You make one mistake and you're out. And so you have to really all you can do is train your best. It's just you. There's no team. There's no whatever. So it's um, there is something about mixing the two. Uh, this like mental discipline and physical discipline that. It actually there's something to it you know and these people have found that and and over time like when i was starting making this film there was literally no news article or you know uh news piece or whatever on tv that took it seriously it was always tacked on right. at the end you know right. of the news 
and like, look at this crazy thing. And um, as you were saying, and I didn't want to do that because who cares? You know, what's the point? Everybody else has done it, first of all. And second of all, I didn't see it that way. So if I'm going to invest time into doing it, why would I just do the same thing everyone else has done? Over time, I started to see more and more news stories that were taking it a bit more seriously, you know? Yeah. And so it was nice to see. And like, it was nice that like, and, and I think uh, Ipa had a bit of a chip on his shoulder about it too, is like he, he was trying really hard to make the sport be seen seriously. So he's presenting in this really austere, serious way, which I don't think is necessary, you know, but it's, right. it, it's, it's. It was a know, reaction I, to what you were witnessing. It was a pushback exactly, against yeah. that, yeah. yeah. One thing I think um, people will be surprised when they see this film and it was the joy we had with King of Kong was you go in thinking it's one thing and then you realize, Oh, this is about me. This is about life. This mm -hmm. is broader than, you know, the, the, the negative of nerd culture or gamer culture or, you know, chess boxing cult, you know, the, the look down your nose yeah. when you realize that Tim Wolger, Ipa Rubin, Many of the key people in the story that you tell in this movie are really good, smart, honest people who have a lot of the exact same challenges they have. And then we yeah. all realize, well, wait, we have weird things too. I mean, think about people who go play golf every Saturday and Sunday morning. If you don't play golf, that's pretty bizarre to walk around <laughs> for four hours chasing a white ball, right? Um, and so I think what your film does very well. And I think we've seen it because we've sh shared the film with audiences to get feedback during final edit. And I saw, you know, I showed it in my garage during COVID with the doors open and all that. <laughs> yeah. And, and there was half of the audience had no idea what they were coming in to watch. The other half were friends of mine and knew my work and, you know, probably helped with King of Kong. The half that didn't know a thing maybe liked it more than the people that were there that had mm -hmm. seen King of Kong. Right. You know, because there was just this shift for them of like, oh, this is human as it gets. I mean, I won't give away your film, but there are massive stakes for especially Tim Wolger uh, in this film. Massive tied to his pursuit of, of his dream, you know, yeah. not, not outside of that, um, which King of Kong didn't have. You know, we had almost zero stakes, pride and world records, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But you guys I mean, edited it in such a way that made it feel like the stakes were super high. That was the, the, yeah. the genius of it. I'll, I'll, I'll drop a name because it was one of the cool moments Seth and I had with the film. Uh, New Line Cinema on Warner Brothers. And, and then there were, you know, we had a theatrical release. But um, uh, New Line Cinema was, was we were talking to them. Uh, and Richard Brenner, who's the president, had been there for a long time uh, and really loved the film. He, he started the meeting with, I hate you for how much you made me care about almost zero stakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, that's the yeah. trick of the film. It's really yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. where, where the stakes come in for that film, and it's one of the things I think that's trick, that tricks people, King of Kong is a family drama. The Weebies mm -hmm. were having very real life things, you know, losing jobs, things like that. So there are huge personal stakes but they, they just weren't tied at all to King of Kong. So really, right. I mean, it's a, a sports drama comedy, but really it's a, it's a family drama going through, yeah. you know, tough phase. When we started filming, they had, you know, um, Steve hadn't become a full-time teacher yet. He was, you know, he'd been an engineer. So, you know, we, that's how 
I think we worked to get to the humanity was through their marriage. And they were, you know, thankfully very willing to let us do it. I mean, very private moments. They let us film and they were very, you know, uh, open and honest on camera. So um, hmm. that's really, I think, where the heart and soul of that film comes. Um, yeah. So let, we'll go back to chess boxing. So, you know, the, give me the 101, your filmmaking. What have you done? Where did you study? And when you heard of chess boxing, you know, get us to that sort of uh, in your filmmaking growth and what you had done to that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I grew up in Montreal uh, and um, I, I was always into animation and movies just like growing up. I just mm -hmm. loved uh, cartoons, <laughs> you know, what, what kid doesn't, but like um, the, I had a real uh, affinity for claymation. So like, mm. Uh, the California raisins, you know, anything like that. I just, I, I love the, the, the look of it and the feel of it. And the, it just, it was so tactile, you know, and it was so cool to see things inanimate objects moving and like doing cool things. Um, so I was just like interested in that. And then I discovered uh, when I was young, um, actually, I'm not sure if, I think before this, I, at my elementary school, we had these like, you know, aftercare programs or whatever. Once school finishes, you have another hour and a half of like activities and uh, you could sign up for whatever you wanted. And one of them was a claymation course where we had an animator come from the National Film Board of Canada, which is like renowned for its uh, animation studios. And um, they, uh, this woman, Louise Johnson came in and she had a super eight camera and she had us like make little clay claymation films. And, uh, so perfect so for I, that age too. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, and, and, you know, you have a lump of clay, you just do whatever you want with it. I made, I made, uh, uh, a, a movie called Pee Wee Herman and the alien invasion. And it was, uh, <laughs> about yeah, Pee Wee Herman, is like in his house in Pee Wee's Playhouse and uh, these aliens are like, they have to come to earth to uh, determine whether or not there's intelligent life on earth. And they come down, beam down into Pee Wee's Playhouse and, and determine that there is none. And they, <laughs> they blast his head off or something. And that was the movie. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is- Pretty dark was, ending with a headshot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's clay, you know, it's clay. Um, and, uh, so, so that, um, was the start of my love affair with claymation. And then I found my dad had a super eight camera at home and, uh, with my newly found skills, like my Louise taught me how to kind of work the camera and yeah. to take exposures and everything. And I had this film that I made that was like three minutes long, uh, auto semi autobiographical of what nerds do in their spare time. And, uh, it was about these like nerdy kids at school who are getting picked on by these bullies. And then they turn into these like superheroes at night and something. And, um, so, uh, I had that going on in my basement. My parents were very patient with me. They had, I had like this, uh, uh set, a claymation set set up for God knows how long it must've taken me two years to do. Um, and uh, just like frame by frame animation. And mm. from that, like, I just, you know, I discovered, I think it was, was Pulp Fiction when I was 14, that like I fell in love with I th the possibilities for live action mm. filmmaking. And also that uh, <laughs> the irony, I thought that claymation took too long. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get that. We haven't we haven't dug into uh, the chess boxing production and post production. We'll get there in a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so so I was like, okay, I'll do live action stuff, and I started making. And my brother had a camera. We'd always make films together and like videos and goofy stuff. And uh, so yeah, I, I and I was into editing. Uh, I would like with my friends, we'd do school projects and do like these elaborate kung fu movies and stuff with overdubs and we do it all in like uh vhs to vhs editing and then i learned how to do like proper vh like videotape uh editing bays i managed to get into one and yeah the first the first thing i ever made we did uh on a on a tape to tape yeah well back yeah it was pretty cool yeah yeah it's a it was was cool at the time it's like super tedious now you make one mistake you have to go back and (laughs) redo everything it's a nightmare but uh, it, was, it was cool at the time. And uh, uh, then I, yeah, when I went to university, I, went, I got into film production at uh, Concordia in Montreal, which is also like a well-known uh, film school in the, in the country. And um, I uh, got a Steenbeck editing table. Um, I mm. loved editing so much on, on film that like I bought my own table and I bought a, a Bolex uh, film camera, both of which I still have. Uh, although my wife made me put the steam back away in the, in the <laughs> storage. Cause it's, yeah, you have it's, young kids now. It's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, that, I mean, that was my trajectory and I did film school, made three films there. And then when I got out, I made my first short film, which is uh, called parking space. It's a horror film about a guy trying to find a parking space, which I think a lot of people found very relatable. My favorite. That's good. Uh, I, I, you know, when we first started working together, you'd sent me, uh, you broke up the, the film is called parking spaces. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll mention because yeah. it, it's available online. I'll, I'll mention the link yeah. afterwards because I, you know, when we sort of like, you sent that to me, I, it's terrific. It's really well done. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. You, you seem to enjoy it, which is good. Um, and the, uh, uh, my favorite comment to, for that film was uh, it played in a bunch of festivals and uh, it played in one in Swaziland. And the guy, I was like, wow, Swaziland, that's cool, exotic, <laughs> you know, and yeah. the, the, the director of the festival wrote me and he's like, uh, this nice letter, he's like, uh, you know, it's very obvious how difficult it must have been to make this film, you shot it at night and all this stuff. And we too have trouble depositing our vehicles here. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Swaziland must have a parking uh, issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that did that, you know, did the festival circuit and I uh, learned a bunch doing that on my own. And then chess boxing came along, basically. I, I finished parking space in 2009. And that's the year that I found parking space in the newspaper and uh chess boxing chess boxing chess boxing yeah yeah Yeah. and then i and then i uh went to berlin to film the very first event i had ever seen uh in uh, in 2010 november 2010 and then i literally finished delivering the film what two weeks ago yeah (laughs) and so yeah 11 years and by the way congrats when this uh episode publishes uh it'll be your release day uh, yeah of your film which i'll Thank mention you. at the yeah. end and make sure everyone gets the links uh How so congrats you? on this day that's not today because we're fi- recording <laughs> in advance, but... and well so how many years from first filming point. from first filming until you delivered last week uh how yeah. long did it take yeah that was 11 years wow it's, uh, literally like almost to the day got yeah. married had two kids this is you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've told me these stories, but the there were two moments. The first, you getting mugged 
Um, And the other one, I think you almost got stabbed. So this wasn't just a long time. What happened with the mugging and the stabbing? Because that's insane. So the, I mean, the mugging was so stupid. It was like, I, I, it was the, right before I went to Berlin for the first shoot, actually. I was like, you know, I had ordered some new equipment and was getting ready to go and all this stuff. And then th- I was living in a kind of a former working class neighborhood of Montreal called St. Henry. And just down the street from me was like, a, they have these cool buildings, like the old uh, industrial buildings that had been abandoned. And uh, I wanted to take my new camera out and go like film the uh the um, film the building and just see what you know uh, just uh, the light was nice who knows i just wanted some footage and um so i was just standing out there and i guess somebody had seen me just filming because i was walking home and this guy came up to me i was on the phone with my girlfriend now wife at the time and uh this guy comes up to me and he asked me he's like hey uh give me your case. <laughs> I had like, I, my camera was in a suitcase, uh, like old style suitcase. And, uh, I was like, what, what? Like, I didn't know what was happening. He's like, give me your suitcase. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, no. <laughs> and he like pulls out this thing in his hand, which I couldn't tell if it was a knife or what, but it was like, um, I don't know. I think it was, uh, wound up being a crowbar, a mini crowbar that was like covered with something. So, so you couldn't see it. And then he like, uh, I like let kind of let him have it, but we kind of got into a scuffle, fell on the ground. He ran away with my case and I started chasing after him. Meanwhile, my girlfriend's on the phone thinking that I'm getting killed, you know? And, uh, oh my God. And like, I ran up to the car, like he shoved it in this, like his friend was waiting in his, uh, getaway car. He shoved the case in the window and I was like, I was panicking because I needed this. If I didn't need it for the like two days later or a week later when I was leaving, I wouldn't have, you know, risked my life, but I was running after this. As a dad of two in middle ages, I would have held you back from getting yeah, yeah, sure. with the guy well, with the crow. That would have been the smart thing to do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I get it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I get it. I, I, yeah. Been in the- I mean, I did, I did feel like I trusted my, like my instincts were okay because I felt like, I assessed the risk in the moment, you know, like it, it he didn't have a gun. He didn't ha- actually have a knife. He Crumbar was, can do some know, damage, man, with the right. Sure, of course, right of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. But like the way, you know, he was, hey, hey, it was dumb, but hey, whatever it is, uh, I didn't get hurt, thankfully. And, Quick uh, aside, can you scrap? Do you know how to fight? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a wimp. <laughs> I always have been. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I go back but, to my first opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe run with the case for a while. Yeah. It catches up. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm tenacious. Yeah. I'm tenacious. Yeah. There you go. Hey, that goes yeah. a long way. Well, you certainly yeah. were with this project. <laughs> well, that's uh, it. And I won't leave it there because you also, in U- the UK, I mean, 11 yeah. years, a lot can happen whether you're filming or not. Yeah. Uh, but these were both connected to filming in the project but you also got threatened didn't you getting into a cab with tim wolger well, yeah well no this is this is another stupid story it's all actually thinking about it now it's like almost the same thing happened i, did, I never told the two stories kind of back to back like this but i actually i was out filming with tim wolger in his uh he was living in north london in tottenham at the time and uh i was uh filming him meeting with one of his fighters who was coming for an event that was going to stay at his place that night and we were out at night and uh i had my obviously had my equipment out i was filming this guy and then we went back to his place and we were there for a couple hours you know so like we had some you know i was filming them there doing stuff and then at the end of the night i went to catch a cab like we had called the cab in advance and the cab said he was downstairs and i went down 
and I was like waiting for it and I couldn't see it. And I didn't realize that when you call a cab in the UK, it's not like it, it doesn't have a dome on it, you know, like it doesn't have a right. light. So you don't know they're not labeled. They're like, the, and it wasn't a black taxi, but it wasn't an obvious taxi. It was just a car <laughs> waiting on the side. And so I didn't know, I, I didn't know where it was. I was just standing there with all of my gear and you know, the, I did all this without practically any money. It was all self-finance. So I had, I basically, on these trips, I'd run around uh, Europe with a giant suitcase that had lighting equipment in it and a smaller suitcase that had all my camera gear in it and a huge backpack that had anything else in it. Mm -hmm. And so like I have these huge bags and I'm holding a tripod and I'm doing all this. And this is me running up and down the, uh, the stairs of the underground and on the subway and all this stuff. So like this is how I get around in, in the UK you know, for these trips. And uh, yeah, waiting for this cab, this guy comes up to me and it was Tim, Tim's house was like right above a bar and this guy came out and I guess, I don't know, he saw, he came up to me. He's like, uh, he had his hand in his pocket and, uh, he, he was like, Hey, uh, he was just started asking me questions about like where, you know, he saw me filming before who, you know, who do I, who do I work for the BBC or something. I don't know. I forget what he was asking me, but like he was probing me <laughs> and then he like reached his hand out to give me a handshake. And I was like, uh, no thanks or whatever. And he had his other hand in his pocket and I feel like he was going to grab my hand and then use it as leverage to kind of stab me and steal my stuff. And uh, thankfully the cab driver, he, he was right, like literally two feet away from me the whole time. <laughs> he was just in his mm. car with this little hazard lights on. And he like pulled up right at that second and the guy bolted. So I knew that there was something up, you know, like it wasn't, he wasn't just, it wasn't just in my mind, but the guy, like he totally suspiciously ran off at that moment. And uh, thankfully the cab driver was there because otherwise I would have been, you know, dead meat. So, um, so you almost gave your life to the project twice. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, not to make light of it because, you know, I think maybe some filmmakers may listen to this episode or whatever. If you're out in the field, and you have equipment and you're filming, you are a target and you have yeah. to always be aware. I mean, you know, we shoot on, almost always with no permits because we don't know where we're going. We're yeah. just following people. So there's that. You don't want someone to shut you down because you don't have a permit. But I think yeah. the biggest thing is um, your safety. Um, and I think, you know, you were, you're describing this, the amount of equipment you had is typically three or four people together. Yeah. Right. You did a lot of this movie all by yourself. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, at the beginning, I did what I could. I brought people with me. Like I, I could afford to fly like a friend out. Uh, I have, you know, my filmmaker friends and hire a couple of people, you know, for very minimal pay or pay their flights and have their accommodations paid for, you know. Yeah. Um, and they were willing to do it because it was cool to go to Europe. And, you know, my friend, some of my friends were just like happy to help. Yeah. And uh, so that was like the first um I don't know, up until 2011 or so. And then, so for about a year, maybe a year and a bit. And then after that, I just couldn't afford to bring anyone out anymore. So I, and the look had kind of been established for the film. So I was able to kind of, you know, get it together myself, but I was just running around town myself on, you know, with all these bags and stuff. It was like really uh, exhausting. <laughs> I don't know if I yeah. could do it today, but. Yeah. Um, well, just practically was, speaking for people working in the field like that, especially at night, um, you know, pairs, threes are good if you can afford it. For um, sure. For but, but just have, have, have a plan, be, be aware of people around you because that, those are scary stories, man. You had two on, I mean, again, it went 11 years. You may have gotten mugged and almost knifed 
had you not been making chess boxing at that time. <laughs> but, but, you know, it was while you were filming with your camera. So, so you, yeah. you finished the film. It's been creatively done for, you know, what, a year and then took a while to get the music done and all that. Um, yeah. who, who have you shown it to and what have been the reactions in the chess boxing world, the people who you filmed or are very mm. close to the subject? Uh, what have reactions been? Yeah, well, uh, so I showed it to uh, Tim. That was like number one. And uh, he loved it. Yeah, I was yeah. worried because, uh, uh, yeah, Tim is very, very open on camera. Um, and he just kind of like lets everything, everything is um, avail. Like, you know, he makes himself very available. Yeah, he's very vulnerable. Tim's yeah. very vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And so it makes for great footage. But I think he doesn't think, I think he doesn't think about it in the moment or he's uh, actually, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I think he, he, he knows that it's probably good for the film. He comes from like a TV background himself. And so he knows that like being open and is going to be good in the movie, <laughs> you know? So he's willing to do that. Um, but I, I think like upon reflect, or I was worried that upon reflection and maybe seeing it, that he'd be, you know, change his mind or he'd get self-conscious about it or whatever. Uh, I don't think that was the case. He, he watched it with his partner and he, he, he said that it was like very emotional uh, to relive all that stuff, but he loved it. Yeah, he was yeah. very, very happy with how it turned out. So that made me happy yeah. um, and relieved. And uh, I showed it to uh, Ipa. Unfortunately, I, it's not, you know, it's not really. Yeah. Well, you great. know what we can, we should, uh, I actually wanted to bring up Ipa here. Because it's too real not to bring it up for this type yeah, of show. <laughs> so this is a spoiler alert in that we're going to talk about something that happened after the film was shot, uh, yeah. but before it was done creatively. Ipa Rubin, who is, um, as we mentioned at the top, he's one of the two protagonists in chess boxing, in, in uh, By Roker Left Hook, the story of chess boxing. And Ipa uh, tragically died in his sleep at the age of 45. Um, mm -hmm. It's been two years now, right, David? Uh, 2020 in May, 2020. So, yeah, so, year bit, yeah. so, uh, in the epilogue of the film, there's a nice uh, piece of art, um, um, by Iki Bilal, who's a famous French artist, uh, of Ipa, but he passed away and I wanted to, you know, you made a film about someone who's a really complex guy. And, and I say tragic because he was so vibrant. He was still so active in both the art world and the chess boxing world. He had a lot of friends. I think that comes across in the film. People like him, you know, yeah. he's a jovial guy to be around. And that's yeah. why I use the word tragic. He, he's not a sad sack. He was a, a, he's a really fascinating guy. So you get the news, you've made a film about someone. Um, how did it hit you? How did it make you feel that this guy was gone and you got to know him and he was never going to see what you did? Yeah, it was, it hit me like a ton of bricks, to be honest. It was total shock. Like, uh, and the person who told me was Tim, actually. Mm. Um, he uh, texted me or emailed me or I forget how it was, but he, uh, he's like, he saw it on Facebook uh, that uh, Epa's friend had posted that he passed away. And he, like, Tim was like, what? <laughs> he's like, and I was like, what? I could, I, it was, it was total. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I, I looked it up. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he just passed away in his sleep. Nobody knew why, how they still don't know why, how, uh, it wasn't COVID apparently. Um, even though it was right at the height of the pandemic, yeah. it wasn't, I don't know. He had, a, 
I don't know. We don't know what it was. So it was just, it's still a shock. I'm this guy, basically I've been looking at him and you have to understand, I guess that the, over the course of making the film, it's not like I was there 24 seven, you know, like it was something that I would fly out for a week at a time, maybe two at most every, you know, few years at that point. And I hadn't seen Nipa since 2014 in person, you know? Um, and we didn't talk that often, you know, I'd check in every now and then, but like, we didn't talk that often, but, and I was always following the chess boxing world, but so to, to, to meet to him, I guess I wasn't a big presence in his life, even though I, he knew I was still kicking and still making this thing. But for me, I was staring at this guy every day for, uh, I don't know, like at that point, almost 10 years, you know, yeah. like I, I was cutting this film, always thinking about it, thinking about what he was going to do next or how it was going to, you know, impact things. And it was just like, he was a huge, um, beyond my wife and kids, he was like probably the biggest, uh, uh, person, you know, presence in my life. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough. Uh, yeah. So yeah. It was, it was yeah. like having a rug pulled out from under me. Like it was really, really shocking. And, and that, yeah, he'll never see the film is, is a real, real stinker. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I wish he, I would have been had a chance to show it to him. And I, I made a very big effort to, to be fair to all the characters in the film as well, because, you know, there's conflicts and they don't get along with each other and all this stuff. And I, I wanted to try to kind of show all sides of the story and not, not, you know, show a bias or anything. And so, yeah, I, I, I would have loved to have seen, you know, what he, what he thought of it. And yeah, I think especially that he, he was trying so hard to have the film be seen, have the sport be seen seriously. I, you know, it, it would have been cool to, to show it to him. Oh, that one's a bummer. Cause you were talking earlier and I hadn't connected those two things that Ipa really, and, and, and I really, I'm a executive producer on the film and, and David, you know, I'm not going to make any money on this thing probably. And I just don't <laughs> care because I've, I, Tim Wolger's a great, character and everyone's going to love him. Ipa is fat. was uh, just a fascinating guy to me. And, you know, the film and, and when you see it, you'll see how different he and Tim are. Tim's the party guy. Let's have a good time. And Ipa is very, as you described him, very, you know, black, this very uh, sort of in, in, it was an art production for Ipa as much as a sport, but your film goes to, um, and not great lengths, but I think appropriate lengths uh, to have us understand the, the sport, invest in the people that are invested in it on more than a surface level, and also show it, it has and has become in some places a pretty big damn deal. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, when people watch this film, I think they're going to be shocked um, at, and I think COVID like anything else, it's, it's muted this growth, but it is all over the world and the media comes out in droves and, you know, the ones in the UK, they were two, 300 people showing up, having a great time. Easily, so yeah. you're right. I hadn't thought about that, that Ipa doesn't get to see a film that took it as seriously as he wanted it to, uh, taken, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's a, it's a shame, but I, you know, I, I showed it to his friends. Um, his, some of his friends are in the film and uh, 
some of his friends who aren't in the film but who helped out and whatever uh, they you know I showed it to them and they you know I'm sure they just love to see their friend again <laughs> you know yeah. I'm sure that was part of it but it you know it shows one of them uh, one of the, one of his friends he was saying like I told them beforehand that Ipa kind of presents presents himself in a lot of different ways to different people um like you know we do see him in the film as this kind of serious guy but I think a lot of his friends knew him as the party guy you know like he was uh this crazy guy who always yeah did well he he was uh the joker for a while as an artist a performance that's artist. it like, so that he was, was wearing his, uh, it on his sleeve persona. when he was yeah. a performance artist yeah as, as his friend says he's a very serious joker um <laughs> but uh it's uh, he's an interesting guy let's put it that way he's a lot of different facets and sides yeah. to him and didn't give a lot away uh like uh which puts him in, in a nice opposition to Tim who, who gives a lot away, but is like, he, he also very, he, he's not an unserious person. I would say Tim is, you know, he knows what he's doing as well. So it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, an interesting, um, I think they play off each other very well, but uh, yeah, Ipa's friends, they were uh, one of, yeah. One of his friends said, <laughs> like I said, I told him beforehand, this might not be the Ipa that, you know, you know, like I spent a lot of time with Ipa and I'm showing a certain side of him, but it might not be the Ipa that you knew and loved. It's a different side of him potentially. And, and his friend, after I showed it to him, uh, he was like, I love your film. You did a really amazing job with this film. Thank you. You know, like, and, and his other friends loved it mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And, and, but he said, I hate this version of Ipa. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I, I knew this version of Ipe and I hated it. <laughs> he was like the, the business guy was just super serious about his stuff. He's like, just uh, relax, dude. You know, <laughs> he's telling him this as he's watching the film. He's like, just uh, chill out, you know? That's but um, yeah. Well, that's a hats off to you, man, because uh, that's the side that makes the movie tick. I mean, that's your plot. That's the truth of what chess boxing was for him. This was his step into uh, the business world. So hats off. Um, yeah, thanks. Great job. So here, here's the big question at all film festivals and I'm a producer, you get the question, what's next? <laughs> so what are you working on next? Yeah. What do you want to do next? What do you have lined up? What are you thinking about? That's going to take way less than 11 years this time. Taking a nap. <laughs> One. Um, but uh, yeah, I have a, I mean, I have several projects in mind. I don't know if I'm ready to talk about them yet. One of them is an animation, TV animation uh, show that I think would be like kind of an adult swimmy kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, like maybe 10, 10 minute episodes, you know, um, and uh, pretty topical with a band that I'm really, uh, that I think is, is. And I'm willing to make the introduction on this non -spoke, uh, spoken about project because I know yeah. enough to know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you're I, saying. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I have a yeah. uh, one person connect to uh to this artist so yeah hopefully we can make that work that would be really cool and i have an idea for a sci-fi film that i think would be really cool as well although it might be a bigger budget thing i have to see um and uh yeah i have a, a right. couple a couple other ideas uh bubbling up but i'm uh i'm I don't have any documentaries in mind. Let's that <laughs> uh, well, remember the, what Clay said to you time. way back when. Remember what Clay Tweel said to you way back when. Yeah. I'm not sure Ed's doing documentaries anymore yeah. <laughs> because I've said I'm not doing anymore after each <laughs> one. So. <laughs> uh, be careful. I hope this isn't the one that breaks you, but uh, I'm uh, ultimately. But yeah, I. Um, it's it's a long it's a slog. You know, it's a long yes. process. So, although. 
extremely rewarding. I'm like super uh, proud of how it turned out. And I owe a lot to you to, for getting it there because you were super patient. <laughs> Let's put it that way to start. You know, you watch this three and a half hour cut that I just watched again because I was looking through for uh, for bonus content and edited, you know, deleted scenes and this kind of thing. And I'm like, that was brutal <laughs> there's like interesting things in it but it's like to, to sit through it as somebody who doesn't care about chess boxing like i do it was like thank you for doing that and giving well, you know yeah, you're yeah. welcome and and through all the subsequent cuts that were you know progressively shorter but still you know sometimes meandering and uh you really uh gave me the notes i needed to get it into into the shape that it needed to be and so i'm uh, super proud of it and really happy with where it turned out. And I'm super thankful for, for, for everything you've done to help me get it there. Thank you. I think from that three hours and 45 minutes in that first phone call after watching that, I think we and you, it was your work. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you got it to where we thought it could be, what we thought it, you know, human drama, conflict, big yeah. resolutions, big turns, you know, fast moving, good music. I think you nailed it. Wonderfully yeah, done. Thanks, Thanks. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, just to say like that, the, the film, it's about, you know, we were talking about, it's not just about chess boxing. This is about, you know, people who are determined and people who care about something. It could, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be chess boxing. It's just these people happen to make chess boxing their thing. And chess boxing has a particularly rich and interesting background and everything. Uh, but these guys are just a, devoted guys who just want to make this thing work and they've they've put everything into it and sometimes too much into it you know and uh i think that's something that we could relate to and 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 they make kind of perfect opposites for each other uh they're perfect opposites of each other in the way that chess and boxing appear to be and mm -hmm. they're trying to find a balance between each other to make this thing work and the sport is trying to make chess and boxing find a balance between those two things in order to make it work so i, th I think it's it's it, it worked out nicely on many layers. Very proud of it, very happy of how it turned out, and I hope people enjoy it as well. I believe they will. David's new documentary by Roker Left Hook, The Story of Chess Boxing, is available on Apple iTunes and Google Play, and you can check out his award-winning short horror film, Parking Space, on YouTube. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure working with you. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. And you can follow the show on social media, Twitter, at Let's Huddle With, Facebook, Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham, and Instagram, Let's Underscore Huddle Underscore With Underscore Ed. If you want to come right to the source, the show's webpage, go to Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com. Scroll through their lineup and search up Let's Huddle to get to the show's homepage. Reach out, let us know what you think, any corrections, clarifications, guests, or topics you might be interested in hearing about. Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated and is edited by Ryan Lindsay of Fushaw Media. The Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat, producer Alex Disopoulos, audio engineer Carter, Connor Haynes and Cam Rogers, marketing directors. Cam also hosts Golf Bets on Us on the Believe Podcast Network. And my first contact with Team Believe, Bron Husenstam, the chief executive. Thanks, everyone, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E 
AV on YouTube. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Lease the 2024 RX 350 Premium All-Wheel Drive for $5.28 a month for 36 months with $49.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer in the Lexus Eastern area and it's April 1st, 2024.